the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. We've talked about this rally coming up in Sacramento, and it's a key one because it is in support of legislation that helps to correct a a pretty significant wrong um, passage of a bill that was actually signed into law by Governor Brown some years ago that unfortunately takes degrees of sexual education within public education from not just the typical middle or junior high school and high school levels, but now brings it down to the elementary school level. And and <laughs> whether this was an oversight or unintentional, I I will uh, or intentional, I'll let you decide that. But ironically enough, while specific provisions are built in that guarantee or insist that the sexual education material must be age appropriate in middle and high school grades, not so for elementary school. Wow. So, did somebody fail to do their due diligence here, or is there another agenda afoot? Denise Persia joins us now. Denise, by the way, is a parent and citizen author of Senate Bill 673 that will be coming before the Senate Education Committee Wednesday, January the 15th. And, uh, Denise, thank you so much for being with us. I'm curious, how did the the lack of, of, of proper protections in the so-called California Youth Education Bill, a sex education bill. How did it first make it to your personal radar screen? Well, Craig, thank you, first of all, for having me on your show to discuss this Senate bill. Um, You know, my own senator, Senator Glazier, would not pick up the bill, so I walked it around the Capitol, and Senator Mike Morrell said he would take it to the floor. And our first committee hearing, as you said, is January the 15th. Um, we do have a rally starting at 8 a.m., but the hearing is at 9, and we'll see who is with us and who is against us. And uh, we'll just find out what they think about parent transparency, because this is what this bill is about. It is about transparency and providing um, parents the supervision of the curriculum. And the reason why that's important is because the story that I tell about what happened to me uh, in my own district, I thought was a unique story, that it was just my district that wasn't being upfront, open, and honest about what was in the curriculum. They actually hid the lessons from me. Uh, After about five or six weeks, I finally got to see them. And when I did, I opted my two children out. Uh, I have twins who were in the fifth grade in uh, the fall of 2017. And it's, it's pretty, you know, it's pretty shocking, some of the material. Um, not all of it, but some of it, enough of it for me to say that's not appropriate for a 10-year-old. And we're talking about they discussed um, in a boy's puberty video that was shown to the class, co-ed, by the way, Uh, They discuss masturbation, for example. Um, They discuss sexual pleasure with these children. And I just say that that's that's a line that I think the school districts and the school teachers uh, should not cross. I I can say that the teachers 
uh, some of the teachers didn't want to teach it, and my two children were in two different teachers' rooms, though they were opted out. One teacher only taught three of the lessons and part of a fourth, and the other teacher taught every lesson and showed all of the material to her students in the class. So, you know, teachers do have discretion, but I, I say it's not age-appropriate, at least not for my child. So this bill provides an ease of review by asking that districts place the curriculum online on district websites so that parents can go to the website and review the material in an easy-to-find, you know, manner. And the reason why that's important is because in my own district, they had 11 lessons, one each an hour each. So you're talking about 11 hours of sexuality education or family life education. And in order to review that as a parent, it took me about 30 minutes to read through the lesson plan, to review the videos that they had, and to take a look at some of the exercises that they did in class. Um, one of the other things that happened in the curriculum was a lesson that described sexual anatomy to children in a spread eagle drawing of a woman's anatomy and all the parts and pieces were described there including parts that were sensitive um, I, I asked my board who's going to be more curious about this sensitive part on a on a woman's body uh, boys or girls um, and that and they asked them to color it in with colored crayons or colored pencils and to, you know, perhaps uh, up the ante, so to speak. They then had a fill-in-the-blank exercise with all the words and then, you know, picking from a multiple-choice answer to fill in those blanks. So it's pretty, it's pretty shocking. But this bill allows for transparency and, and then also allows for a parent to sign on the dotted line for the child's participation and... This bill also only applies to elementary school education or education for students in elementary school. So once it sounds like after all the stonewalling uh, and you finally got your hands on the materials, I guess you found out why they were so uh, elusive in providing you any information. That's shocking. Yes. You know, when I asked the staffer who oversaw the curriculum in my district, I said, you know, it looks like that you don't want me to see this material uh, because, first of all, she sent me a summary of what the lessons were, you know, an overall one paragraph, about six sentences. And when I said that's not what I was looking for, then she sent me a shorter paragraph, maybe three sentences uh, for each of the lessons. But it still wasn't what I was looking for. I was looking for the lesson plans. You know, four weeks goes by. And I finally am able to review the lessons in a short window of time. Um, I had to make an appointment, and I could come in to see the lessons from 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. or from 3 p.m. to 4 p.m. As I said, it took me several hours to review those 11 lessons when I finally did get them. Um, It took about seven or eight hours total. Um, and that, as I said, looking at videos that were, you know, sometimes three-minute videos, but still... Um, In order for a parent to really know what's in the curriculum, you have to read it, you have to look at the videos, you have to look at the resources that they provide as part of the curriculum. In my own district, for example, they gave a resource of a book, and it's called It's Perfectly Normal, and it is basically a cartoon pornography book. It's it's pornographic. Um, And in fact, 
a, a men's prison in the state of California banned that book from a men's prison because it discusses all kinds of sexual acts and sexual pleasure, as well as contraceptions, uh, uh, every, every kind of contraception, including, including abortion. And uh, the topics in the book are not appropriate for 10-year-olds, though the book is marked, you know, is designated for 10 and up. So that was kind of my journey and why my children were opted out of it. And at the end of uh, a year of giving public po- comments to my board, um, they voted to keep the curriculum because originally they had rolled out the curriculum without parent oversight, without board oversight, without board discussion, and not a vote from the board either, <laughs> so, which is in violation of California Ed Code. There's a uh, to them, and then. Um, you know, as uh, time went by, one of my legislators asked me to write a legislative proposal, which I did, and then um, I provided that, you know, as I said, I walked it around the Capitol, and Mike Morrell took up my bill, and we have a bill number, SB 673. Um, it does come before the Senate Ed Committee, um, as I said earlier, um, on January 15th, and uh, we'll just see who's, uh, who, who believes in transparency and who doesn't. Well, we certainly appreciate your transparency in bringing this to um, not only uh, the attention of uh, California State Legislature, but most importantly, Californians and parents all. And again, uh, this particular bill, Senate Bill 673, will go before the Senate Education Committee on Wednesday, January the 15th. There will be a rally in advance of that, beginning with an 8 a.m. press conference on the south steps of the state capitol in Sacramento, and then moving there to the hearing room, um, room number 4203 at 9 a.m. You can get more details on the web about this event and um, the criticalness of passage of FSB 673 by going to californiafamily.org. Go to California Family Council's website, californiafamily.org. Denise Persia, thank you so much for taking the time, the effort, on behalf of all of both parents and children of California. Uh, We owe you a tremendous debt of gratitude for bringing this to our collective attentions. There's Denise Persia, parent, citizen author of Senate Bill 673. More details on the web at californiafamily.org. 6.15, a look at traffic now. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Parents struggle with well, several sets of questions when the kids reach that inquisitive age. Uh, certainly, I think most parents shudder at the notion of having to have the talk. You know the one I'm referring to, the birds and the bees talk. And um, largely feel that they are um, wholly unprepared to answer many of the questions that the kiddies will offer up. And, of course, it becomes challenging and problematic. We can't rely on the public school system to provide our kids with sex education. And um, and if they learn it from their peers, uh, it's going to form some very unhealthy relationships and very um, unhealthy lifestyles, potentially. Along with that, I think for Christian parents, there also can be that equal sense of being wholly unprepared to answer many of the questions that our kids pose as they are exploring the claims of Christ and their faith. It is more than just simply saying, because the Bible said so, and, you know, sort of taking the God said it, I believe it, that settles it approach. 
Um, the kids want real answers, to have a real faith. God has no stepchildren. We understand that. But how can you be best prepared to answer some of the toughest questions that your kids may pose regarding their faith and Christianity? Well, Dr. Alex McFarland joins us. He is the author of a number of best-selling books on a variety of topics. He also serves as a radio talk show host. He is director of Christian Worldview and Apologetics at North Greenville University in Greenville, South Carolina. And in addition to all of the wonderful books that he has written, the latest one is one that you will want to have handy on your top shelf. It's called simply, 21 Toughest Questions Your Kids Will Ask About Christianity. And Dr. McFarland, always a delight and an education to have you join us. Well, thank you so much, Craig. It really is a thrill to be on with you. I'm deeply grateful. Is this a parallel that I draw between uh, sometimes the awkwardness that parents feel in answering questions regarding sexuality, the birds and the bees, equally up there with questions regarding faith? I mean, when when your kid comes to you straight-faced and says, Daddy or Mommy, why does God allow suffering? Boy, you know, we, we tend to kind of come with the platitudes, but we don't always have the strong theological response that the kids really need, do we? Yeah, I think that's a great parallel that you draw. Um, Moms and dads get nervous about having the talk, you know, regarding sexuality, and I think they procrastinate and and sometimes push away opportunities to talk about deep spiritual matters as well. And, you know, for a lot of reasons, not only culturally but scripturally, uh, moms and dads need to be able to help their kids process the, the questions about God and Christianity and spiritual growth that uh, are natural, that, that kids will ask. You know, we're, we're inquisitive creatures, and we're spiritually inquisitive as well. And sometimes mom and dad uh, avoid those types of questions, or they'll, they'll reprimand their kids and say, you know, you shouldn't ask things like that. Uh, maybe because they themselves don't really know a good, solid answer. So the book is designed to equip moms and dads. It's a fun book. I mean, there's, there's questions kids ask me that were funny, poignant, touching, probing. Uh, and so there are many questions from interviews that we did with about 111 children. I'm curious if there is a degree to this in which parents are sometimes awkward or reluctant um, or feel chagrined at answering questions because their own base knowledge is a bit lacking. And, and I pose that question because there are parents that I know that have, uh, on the topic of the birds and the bees, kind of taken the, you know, with sexuality as complicated as it is these days, I don't know, I was raised in the 50s, things have changed so much, I, I'm just maybe more content to allow the kids, their smart kids, to go out and explore and find the answers on their own. Is that approach dangerous, particularly when it comes to spiritual matters? Well, it is, Craig, because for one thing, it's communicating a message to your children that these things just really aren't that important. I mean, you know, if if they really were that significant, you know, mom and dad would have taken the time to carve out an answer or to, you know, get a handle on on a good perspective. But, um, you know, really Christianity... Uh, is a, it's a faith system that has good answers to the questions. Uh, we have good evidence for the claims of Christ. But Christianity is a, a, a relationship-driven uh, faith, uh, not only our relationship with the Lord Jesus, but um, passing it on, evangelism and discipleship and the spiritual mentoring of children. It's It's 
I guess for lack of a better word, I would call it life-on-life transference. And who better to inform the spiritual perspective of children, who better to do that than mom and dad? But, you know, the old thing, you can't give away what you don't have. Uh, If there's going to be transference and life-on-life, you know, discipleship, mom and dad have to have a, a robust faith of their own. And so... We talk about that in the book, that, um, you know, the opportunity to answer your kids' questions, you know, might be really a a reminder to drill down deeply uh, in your own life, mom and dad. And and obviously, you know, sometimes the inclination toward um, being dismissive, um, minimizing the importance of what might seemingly be a benign question to you, that in fact is a deep searching probative question for a young person who, yes, maybe raised in church and you had a family altar in the evenings, you know, uh, many families that will spend moments in the Bible every night together, things of this sort, particularly when the kids are younger, and you thought you've done everything that you can do to help establish a firm foundation in their faith, and in fact, they've just been kind of going through the paces or the motions and are now beginning to ask the tough questions that at some point in life all of us ask of what God, who God, where God, why God, uh, what of sin, what of salvation, what of my relationship to God, who is Jesus Christ, things of this sort. Our children deserve these answers because God, as we say, has no stepchildren, and they will not, uh, uh, these kids cannot uh, vicariously live out their relationship of, uh, with Christ through you. So how can we be best prepared to answer some of the toughest questions that your kids may ask regarding Christianity? Dr. Alex McFarland is with us tonight to help illuminate on all these matters. We'll come back to more of our conversation as Lifeline continues here on KFAX. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Ah, oh, yes, indeed. And back to the conversation tonight. Dr. Alex McFarland is with us. You know him as the author of a number of New York Times best-selling books, including 10 Answers for Skeptics, uh, Core Truths You Must Know for an Unshakable Faith, uh, 10 Common Questions or Objections, rather, to Christianity, and now his latest book, The 21 Toughest Questions Your Kids Will Ask About Christianity. Let's get to your calls. We're going to lead off first for Dr. McFarland in Sonoma. Aaron, come on in with your comment or question for Dr. Alex McFarland. Hi there. Certainly, I've been a parent for seven years now. We've got little ones, and our faith, my husband and I, has really you know strengthened and solidified in so many ways, and we're just on our own journey, and with our kids, it's a beautiful thing, and I, I feel really blessed and, and really grateful, but the most challenging part of parenthood for me that I would love to hear your perspective on is not so much the interaction that I have with my kids, because I feel like we're learning and growing together every day, but... My my uh, husband and I, growing up in Christian households, have parents that look at us in a way that and, and expect us to behave in a way and teach our children in the same way that they have taught us, and we're not the same people. And so with our family and with other folks, it's just the most challenging part of are uh, you talking about in the sense of what, like certain traditions or just um, uh, parent- parenting styles? Overall, you know, like when I was pregnant with my second child, my mom asked me, you know, do you really believe? And, you know, they sort of think like if I don't express it in the same way, then 
it must not be correct or you know what I mean? Like I might not be passing it on. And uh, my father-in-law said, you know, we're really the godparents for children. Um, as if we can't do it ourselves. <laughs> or, I mean, of course, everybody, it takes a village for sure. But, you know, these things that are passed on, I think it's important to realize that as much as we have the common um, faith and common denominators, we're all on our own journey and path, and we sort of have to respect how we're doing this, you know, and being really careful that our children will come up in their time, but we do have to leave them, and we can't let go, and we have to guide them, you know, at least until they're 18, but I'm sure it goes on and on and on, you know, that's the... Oh yeah, ask, ask any parent with kids in their 40s and 50s and they'll and they'll tell you that so. All right, uh, let's uh, let's turn to Dr. McFarland for a response. Um, Alex, this of course is a predicament oftentimes uh, parents may have a certain parenting style or a manner in which they feel the spiritual legacy should be uh, passed on and all of a sudden they see their own kids with kids of their own, and maybe they're not insisting that they be involved in uh, Royal Rangers or whatever the case might be. Talk a bit about that, if you would. Well, you you know, um, salvation is the same for all people in that we put our faith in the Lord Jesus. But Christian growth is kind of different for for all people. You know, what um, is a catalyst in the Christian growth of one person? Um, God might use something different to spiritually mature another person. And so I want to say a big word of encouragement to the caller and to all moms and dads that, um, you know, uh, there, there will be no shortage of people to give advice or even to be sometimes critical, but don't let that discourage you, and don't let that uh, make you second-guess yourself just by virtue of being mom and dad. Uh, just genetically, you've got home court advantage, and nobody can... Nobody can influence the spiritual direction of a child like the parent. Um, it, you know, it's very poignant in um, uh, Deuteronomy 6 and Exodus 13, where the Word of God um, says, you know, when it comes to pass that your son will ask you, why do we do these things? Then you will say, when Pharaoh would not let us go, God with a strong hand brought us out. And, and it kind of the implication is that your children will look to mom and dad and say, hey, I I want what you've got. So I would say um, be in the Word, be in prayer. Uh, You make sure that you're walking with Jesus, and then let the Holy Spirit do the driving. And over time and through circumstances and just consistent, authentic Christian living, uh, God will will, um, steer you in the way that you can best be the Christian parent that your children need. Is it a difference, Alex, between sort of um, forcing our children into the Christian mold versus modeling our own faith? You know, the do I, I as I do versus do as I don't, uh, you know, don't do as I do, do as I say kind of scenario. Uh, it's very much modeling, I think, that that is the, the winning uh, approach. My friend Josh McDowell uh, who I'll be with him Thursday and Friday in Texas, actually. But Josh says, you know, rules without relationship breeds rebellion. Mm-hmm. And and just a list of do's and don'ts. Uh, while it's important to have standards, but just a list of, of do's and don'ts uh, won't cut it. I, I think legalism has created more skeptics and atheists than all 
the uh, naturalistic philosophy. Well, and I think we all know cases. I certainly can cite them from uh, my uh, my sphere of, uh, of acquaintances where parents on some occasion would insist that the child go to Sunday school and things of this sort. They themselves, however, not fully to participate. And then when the child is, uh, you know, of age, 18, moves out of the house and suddenly, you know, um, uh, dumps church and never wants to go back, wonders, well, what happened? You know, it's got to be, like you say, modeled so that the old saying, more is caught than taught. Now, there does need to be some good intellectual content. Uh, there needs to be substantive answers to the questions, and that's what we do in the book. We try to give good answers, uh, age-appropriate answers, because in, in the 111 children I interviewed, we, we would notice that the questions of a 5-, 6-7-year-old uh, were different than the questions of a 10-, 11-year-old, a 12-year-old, a pre, pre-adolescent. So it's a combination of both. But even, um, let, me, let me say, Mom and Dad, you don't, don't feel like, um, gee, I, I'd better be a, a theologian, um, you know, to be able to speak into the lives of my children. Oftentimes, just the, the, the visual that Mom and Dad love Jesus, that they're walking with the Lord, and uh, there, is, there is a good answer to all the questions, even if, if I don't know what it is. Um, but there's, there's just a trust that seems to be bred in the heart of a child when they see mom and dad consistently, authentically living out their faith. And then there'll come time when you can have the, the conversations, like we talked about, the spiritual coming-of-age conversations. But, um, you know, I would say mom and dad, one of the most potent apologetics that you can set forth before the watching eyes of your kids is your own authentic, committed walk with Jesus Christ every single day. This is sort of the uh, the Pauline, follow me as I follow Christ approach? Absolutely. Dr. Alex McFarland with us tonight. He, Director of Christian Worldview and Apologetics at North Greenville University in Greenville, South Carolina. He is also the host of Explore the Word radio program, nationally syndicated. Um, he has traveled and spoken to over a thousand churches during his apologetics career and um, written a number of best-selling books. No doubt this one destined to be the next bestseller. 21 toughest questions your kids will ask about Christianity. We'll come back to more of our conversation as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Best-selling author Dr. Alex McFarland His new book, 21 Toughest Questions Your Kids Will Ask About Christianity. By the way, the book available through the usual suspects, meaning uh, Bay Area bookstores. I think there's one or two of those that still exist. Amazon.com and also through uh, Dr. McFarland's website, 21toughestquestions.com. And that's spelt out, I mean uh, enumerated, 21toughestquestions.com. Do some parents in your experience, Dr. McFarland, feel threatened when their kids start to approach them, particularly as a child gets to be of age, you know, uh, early teens, things of that sort. And here you've been dutiful in terms of taking the kids to school, to Sunday school and church, and you really thought you've done everything right, and you feel firm that your child has a strong uh, faith experience, and then they come start asking these very fundamental questions. Do parents sometimes get defensive on that? 
Uh, yeah, they do. And and let me say this: uh, I'm not you know bashing mom and dad or being critical. But not only do moms and dads sometimes get defensive, but sometimes they just make excuses. And you know, in doing all these interviews, um, periodically I would hear moms and dads say, you know, oh my goodness, you know, I'm not a theologian. I, you know, I've never been to seminary. I'm I'm just a mom and a dad. And you know, let me say this to shape the spiritual lives of your kids, you don't have to be a theologian. But before God, and uh, in the sight of, of the Lord and the Church, um, in the home, uh, parents are called to be the spiritual drivers of the family, really. And so uh, I, I challenge moms and dads in the book, you know, avoid the deer-in-the-headlights look. You know, when, you're, when your children ask things like, you know, did the baby Jesus wear diapers? Or if God made everything, who made God? Uh, and how does God hear the prayers of all the people in the world at once? You know, things like that. One little boy asked the question, uh, you know, my pastor says Jesus and Satan are fighting. What are they fighting with, lasers? You, you, know, um, you know, use, use these, these wonderful opportunities to show that... Uh, the, the questions have answers. Um, but let me say this. Oftentimes, I think in, in recent decades of Christianity, there's the assumption that uh, I pray the sinner's prayer, Lord, come into my life and save me. Amen. And that's it. And I wait around five more decades, and someday I'll die. Um, and just getting saved is the end of the equation. Um, there's also the um, kind of the, the assumption you know, if, I, if my child goes to youth group or Sunday school, check that box off, uh, the duty is done, and that's the end of my job. And it, it's, it's so much more than that, and what a, what a wonderful opportunity it is. But, you know, Second uh, Peter 1.16 says, We have not followed cleverly devised fables. Um, the gospel is not faith alone. It is faith but it's a faith validated by compelling lines of evidence. So it's not just that we're going to resolve to believe a myth in spite of the evidence. No, we, we can defend our faith because of the great evidence. And so mom and dad uh, embrace this wonderful calling, this wonderful opportunity, because in you know, prepping to build spiritual champions out of your children, uh, you yourself will probably grow and mature, and your love of Jesus uh, and your confidence in him will, will, will grow as well. In that sense, then, is it better when a child presents a theological question that we may not feel fully comfortable in asking, especially if they, you know, come into something that's, that's fairly deep and we feel like we're just ill-equipped is it better to say I don't know than to lie or to uh, you know try and make something up? Oh yeah, I mean don't snow job a child; they'll see it from a mile away, and and certainly don't uh, just make up a lie because they'll be on the internet and they'll they'll find out the truth. You know, um, know this that that we live in a time of so much information that if you don't uh, proactively give the answers and chart the course, uh, your kids will find a spiritual roadmap somewhere, and it might not be the right one. And so um, it's perfectly fine 
In fact, it's really healthy sometimes when the parent says, hey, that's a, that's a great question. You know, uh, give me a couple of days, and together let's, let's work through this together. But, um, you know, there is mystery. Even uh, the deepest Christian, I mean, think of, you know, think of somebody like a Billy Graham or, or a David Jeremiah or the great Christian leaders that we look up to. Uh, there's still things that they are learning, and there's still mystery. Um, there's so much we do know, and then there are things that uh, this side of heaven will never know. And so uh, let, let your sons and daughters know that uh, Christianity is, is concrete, but it's abstract. I mean, we know Jesus died and rose again. Uh, there's an empty tomb. He literally was nailed to a cross to pay for our sins. So there, there's much about the faith that is concrete and, uh, and provable and documentable. But then there, then there are things like, um, you know, when will Jesus come back? We, we just don't know. Um, why does a good, godly, faithful Christian family suffer the loss of a loved one? Um, why can a faithful Christian get laid off of their job? Uh, you know, we don't know all the answers, but we know God is faithful. You know, C.S. Lewis, Craig, C.S. Lewis said um, regarding the death of his own wife, and here's a guy that had given much of his adult life to defending the faith, and he lost his wife. His wife passed away. And Lewis uh, wrote, uh, God, I know now why you utter no answer. You yourself are the answer. Before your face, questions flee away. And so it's okay for a mom and dad to say, you know what, son, I don't really know, but I'll try to find out. But there, there are hard, concrete facts, and then there are... There, there are areas of mystery where we have to trust God. And then, too, aren't we, don't we need to be sensitive in terms of the degree of maturity of the child, both from a spiritual standpoint and an age standpoint? I mean, that, that whole milk-to-meat thing. I mean, I have seen some parents who, for example, are big fans in the study of eschatology and uh, dispensationalism. They've got down pat. Uh, explaining to a child uh, sin, death, judgment, damnation, sin, salvation, sanctification. The child knows nothing of that, but mom or dad drags the kids off to every single conference on eschatology they can get their hands on. That, that's true. That's true. And you know what? Uh, steak is a wonderful thing, but if you cram it down the throat of an infant, uh, it probably will choke. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, I, I've got to say this um, from preaching in 1,400 churches and being president of a seminary, uh, I love the body of Christ, and I love believers of all strata, but um, there are believers that um, are, you know, straight as an arrow theologically, but as, as empty as, as, as a bank vault uh, as far as their heart and their joy. And like so much of, of the Christian life, um, there, there's got to be a balance. There's, there's um, learning and knowledge and content and data, but then there's, there's trust and waiting on God. And, uh, you know, we don't want to make the Bible say less than what it says, but we don't want to make the Bible say more than what it says. Um, and that, that balance of having standards but not being legalistic, um, knowing that we're free in Christ, but that doesn't mean that we're free to go and, and sin uh, with no restraint. 
And so, um, you know, I was uh, in Colorado, Craig, speaking at a men's retreat and doing some of this content while the book was in process about a year and a half ago, because I spent over two years on this one book. And, uh, you know, I was talking about being a godly man and a husband and a father. And uh, uh, during the break, a man came up and he said, you know, Alex, I hear you. This is great. You know, but I mean, the kind of disciple you're talking about to love Jesus and love the family and First Peter, you know, lay down your life for your spouse. And, you know, the kind of Christian you're talking about, I mean, that would be like, like every day, 24-7. And I'm like, uh, yeah, yeah <laughs> I think that's what God calls us to, to uh, give him 100%. And so uh, more than ever in this culture, in this milieu, uh, that's what we Christians are called to do, to give Jesus our all, and it will bear fruit in the lives of the next generation, our kids uh, who follow after us. And certainly in the process of giving all to Christ and training up a child in the way that he should go, uh, wonderful insights inside the pages of this new book. 21 toughest questions your kids will ask about Christianity, and not only can be a great primer for mom and dad uh, when the questions arise, but also take you deeper, foundationally speaking, into your own faith. The book, again, is available at um, 21toughestquestions.com. That's the number 21, 21toughestquestions.com, or, of course, amazon.com. And as always, our thanks and appreciation for his time in the insights. Dr. Alex McFarland, Christian Worldview and Apologetics Director at North Greenville University in Greenville, South Carolina. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of Lifeline. Thanks so much for being with us. And if there was anything you heard on today's show that you'd like to hear again or share with a friend, grab a copy of the Lifeline podcast. Simply log on to kfax.com. That's kfax.com for the Lifeline podcast. Our producer is Wanda Sanchez. I'm Craig Roberts. Till next time round, remember, just don't keep the faith. Get out there and share it and make it a great evening. So long. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved.